Hello, and welcome to the Deep Collaboration Podcast. I'm Don Goodman-Wilson with CoStream. Um, and in this series, we talk to people who are leading the way in making working together smarter and more productive. With me today, I've got Jeffrey Huntley, who for the past 18 months has transitioned living and working entirely from a technological marvel of a van that he's kitted out himself. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Don. Thanks for having me here. I uh, can't wait to share some of the things I've been building. Um, yeah. And I think you're going to find it quite interesting. I, I think we are too. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you get interested in, in van life? What is it that you do from the van? Yeah, sure. So I'm a software engineer. Uh, I, for a long time, I did a lot of open source software. Um, and the entire notion of van life, a lot of people discover a van life via social media and Instagram. Um, and that, that sells a tale and a narrative, which is not completely true. We'll get into that later. But the, um, the concept was introduced to me around about 2015 when I saw a software engineer at Google was saving 98% of his paycheck by living in a box truck and using the Google facility. So he would go to work, do his work, and then he'd just like, crash at, uh, in the box truck and then he would go back into it. And I didn't think much of it at the time except for that was smart. Um, and yeah, uh, late last year, around about February, um, I was uh, camping with a whole bunch of people uh, for about a month and um, I'd just come out of a long-term relationship and I was in the need to like rebuild my life pretty fast and it just kind of made sense. I remembered what that engineer at Google did and we were coming straight into a pandemic uh, and things were quite uncertain. So the idea was I could start to quickly rebuild my life and I could explore Australia slowly and work remotely from my van and at the same time, live a minimalist lifestyle that I always wanted to have. So where, where in Australia are you now? I'm Roughly currently speaking. in Sydney. You're currently in Sydney. All right. How much of Australia have you, have you managed to see so far in the, what is it, six months that you've been doing this full time? Uh, I've done a lot of uh, around New South Wales and circling up to Sydney. Uh, I've, the most recent trip I did was I went inland to Lightning Ridge and then cross the country border into Queensland. And that's always interesting crossing the borders because uh, here in Australia, uh, the depending on what your residency is, uh, determines whether you can even cross the border because of COVID protections. But mm. luckily I was able to get across the border uh, and from where I crossed the border to get back to Brisbane, it was one of the roads was 325 kilometers in a straight line. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's quite something. Um, so, I'm very curious to know about the van. Can you can you take us on a tour of your your office setup? Yeah, sure. So the van is just an ordinary van. Um, it's a high top. If you're looking to get into this idea of working from a van or even spending time in a van, I highly recommend either getting a box truck because they're tall. Box trucks in particular are um, they're square, they're very easy to build in. But if you're going to go for a van, um, I highly recommend getting a, a tall boy or a high, a high van that you can actually stand inside the van. And that just makes living, it's so much easier. So you're not always bending your neck, etc. But that's, that's just the van. So the van itself has uh, three uh, solar panels on the roof. 
um, normal panels that you would see on a house. And that's about a kilowatt of capacity to recharge the batteries during the day. So it's almost equivalent of being plugged into the wall. Um, and that goes to a very nice inverter. And I've got about 1950 amp hours of battery, which basically means an equivalence. I don't have power issues. Like if the sun doesn't come out for four or five days, then I might need, need to plug in. How much, how much electricity in total does, does your equipment draw? I'm curious. Uh, right now, as far as this podcast interview is going, I'm using 264 watts. I'm running on a desktop computer with a 1070 GTX and a 40 inch monitor. Uh, so it's not much power at all. Wow. I would have thought that, yeah, a rig like that would have been terribly power and efficient. Yeah, it's about uh, 31 amps currently, power draw. I suppose the main thing is uh, technology has been continually improving and we're getting to this point where this is now possible. Yeah, that's, that's quite, a, quite amazing. So how do, you, how do you ensure reliable internet? I'm curious. Ah, so here in Australia, we have three 4G internet connections or providers. And what I do is I have a service with each one of them. I use desktop modems you would normally find in your house. Those modems are normally powered off 12 volts and 12 volts is a, a, a great, uh, is a great standard. Um, you'll find a lot of the electronics you run in your house are actually 12 volts. So anyway, what I do is I use uh, Huawei B818 modems. They are the best modems you can get because they support what's called carrier aggregation. They're category 19 modems, and then I connect them to external antennas. Each modem has their own antenna. So in essence, what I've got is three 4G connections with really good modems and really good antennas. Then I then merge those connections into a singular internet connection. I actually bond them into a single internet connection, and then I, I put a hierarchy on it. Uh, at the back of the van, there's actually an external Wi-Fi adapter, uh, an alpha Wi-Fi adapter with very good uh, antennas. And if I'm parked near a friend's or somewhere else with internet connectivity, I'll connect with that Wi-Fi adapter, and that means I won't use the 4G data connections. Um, when I'm in the city, I also have a 5G internet uh, connection as well, and I'm on pre-order right now for Starlink. But in, in essence, it's so many different options for internet connectivity, and they all got merged into a single internet link. How, how reliable is the 4G in Australia? I'm, I'm very curious to know. I know traversing the, the countryside in the United States, it can be really hit or miss whether or not uh, uh, even any carriers uh, will, will have a signal. I remember I used to live in, in rural Colorado. I didn't live in rural Colorado, sorry. I used to travel through rural Colorado, and, and it was very common, for example, to lose a signal once you got off the highway. Yeah, so 4G cover in Australia is actually surprisingly good. This is why I have one service with each provider. So typically you'll have a dropout or a black spot with one provider but not in the other. And because I'm merging all the connections together, uh, it, the connectivity is pretty insane. Um, normally with your phone, for example, the antenna isn't that great. So even if you've got a, 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 a good antenna, you still have broadcast power and receive power. Um, considerations to go into play. But um, 
I find myself having a data service where I don't have normal uh, service for phone calls or for SMSs, but I don't find that to be a concern because here in Australia, we can actually do what's called SMS over Wi-Fi or voice calling over Wi-Fi. So I, I found myself driving in the country outback of Australia and I've got no reception on my mobile phone. I, I see that it's no service, but I'm able to receive phone calls and SMSs because it's all going by my bonded internet link. It's pretty amazing. Hmm. That is, that is pretty cool. What, what other equipment do you have for working from home? You, so you mentioned your, your PC. We've got your, your uh, bonded internet. The um, uh, solar panels are providing electricity uh, through a battery system. What other kinds of cool technology do you have, uh, do you have in there to support your, your home office? Cool technology I have to support the office. Uh, it's a little bit out there, but I have my Aerion chair. Um, I find as a software engineer, I'm sitting down always, and I could have gone with a camping chair, but I actually use a proper office chair in the van. And I normally have a, a, a hex greenhouse because sometimes it gets dull to be sitting in a van. Even though you set up really well, you've got a 40-inch monitor, you don't have the right separation. And what's the point of having these beautiful views if you can't enjoy them? So normally I take out a screen house, peg that down, set that up, take out a folding camping table, and then I just carry the Aerion chair out. I found having a good chair is so important, even though it takes up so much space in the van. Uh, other cool things I've got is uh, what's called an ever shower. They are a recirculating shower. And that means that uh, you put three liters of cold water in, two liters of hot water, and you can have endless showers continually. Um, it's just like, just like a bath, um, highly recommended, especially if you're gonna be staying at a place or state forest for five, five or so days, as I normally am. Mm. Um, if you're going down this place and you're looking to do your own build, uh, I talk toilets quickly. Uh, you definitely want to be self-contained. Uh, there are composting toilets, and they are wonderful. They do not smell, and they're lovely. And you hardly ever even really use it, to be honest. Um, it's there for emergencies, like if you were ever to get sick, for example. But there's so much infrastructure out there, and information about where toilets are are available on your phone because of uh, disability acts. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting to know. I don't think we have that sort of thing in Europe to be truth, to be truthful. Um, I wouldn't, or if there is, I wouldn't know where to find it. That's a, that's, yeah. that's fascinating that there are apps for that in Australia. People ask about toilets and showers all the time. It's simple. If you want showers, you're in the city, a gym membership gets you access to showers anywhere. Toilets. Well, in the city, there's toilets everywhere. Um, in country towns, normally there isn't a chain membership for the gym that you belong to, but there are um, swimming and aquatic centers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's not too expensive to get a day pass. Not expensive at all. And if you're camping in a forest for weeks on end, um, you're not. it's just easy to set up a shower. From a food preparation perspective, uh, I recommend getting a, a very large fridge, very large freezer, if you go for an all electrical setup like I have, uh, I have a oven and a microwave and a pressure cooker. And that serves me if it's raining and I want to just do cooking on the inside. If I want to do cooking on the outside, just a cast iron steel pan on a uh, fire grill and you're done.
Um, and plus, there's barbecues everywhere, literally everywhere in Australia, and they're all on the map. <laughs> That's true. I was actually surprised my first trip to Australia when I went to a public park, and there's there's electric grills literally you know, scattered all over the, the, the park area, and something I hadn't seen before. So what have you learned from working remotely? What, what did you get right about the approach, and what are the challenges that you faced? Yeah, sure. One of the things I definitely got right was internet connectivity. So being able to have a highly reliable internet connection out in the middle of nowhere is critically important. Um, so I, I, I got the internet connectivity right. Um, some of the things that are a little bit harder uh, with remote work is, well, you literally, in my case, I'm literally remote in the sense that it's not just working in a remote team. And sometimes I'll be in a state forest for weeks on end. So it, it literally is remote. Uh, so that, took, that takes a lot to, to adjust to. Like finding some of the best places to camp or pl best places to work from. There's not normally an intersection as such. Typically the people who like to go camping like to go camping to escape the internet. So when you're looking at all the guides of where do you go to camp, they're not, they don't mention anything about internet. So that's taken a long time to slowly build up a intersection of places that are beautiful, places that you can stay for a long time and places where it's possible to work from. Yeah, that's one, on the physical sense, that is one of the challenge of remote. Um, I have physical dimensions to the remote uh, work aspect that most people don't have. As for remote work, uh, it's, I think it's the same as always, time zones are hard. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, especially since you're in, you're in Eastern Australia, right? And I imagine that most of your collaborations are with folks on the West Coast of the United States, or in, in the case of our conversation now with people in Europe, like, how do you, how do you manage the time zone issue, which is a question a lot of people have, right? And how do you, how do you balance that with uh, the need for, for synchronous communication versus asynchronous communication? The way that I handle it is I partition my day into two. Most people partition their day into three. So in the morning, I wake up, and until around about lunchtime, that's my time. And I do all the activities I would normally do. Uh, and then after lunch, I switch over to uh, work time. And I just work until it's very late, or until, le or until productivity no longer is there. So that's actually an important distinction. If you're working in time zones, one of your first responsibilities is to ensure that if you're having a day where you've got low productivity, don't let that cascade into multiple days of failure by this, this need and desire to catch up with teammates um, in, who are in different time zones. Um, I find by starting later, it actually helps with the crossover. I have a lot of teammates over in Germany. Uh, some in Greece, some in Pakistan, and of course the New York time zone, which is the hardest one from Australia. Um, the best way I find is really documentation, uh, documentation and minimizing the amount of uh, dependencies. For example, you, 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 when we're going through and picking a particular project, uh, pick something that you can work on yourself, but also have a backup one just in case that, that one gets blocked. If you get blocked on that, write up and ask for help. And by modifying your 
your time zone. I particularly modify my time zone. It means I have more crossover with my peers. So how do I just draw the distinction between synchronous and asynchronous? Mm. Matters of the heart can rarely ever be resolved by in asynchronous fashion. So if you're doing anything that revolves around like feeling or any like type of emotion, and I, I don't mean necessarily about management. I mean like you're trying to flesh out like UX or design or how things. You can spend a lot of time trying to articulate that in an asynchronous manner, but sometimes it's better just to bounce ideas off each other. So it depends on the type of task. Uh, you get better at recognizing the tasks that require touch and feel. If you feel that you would need input, it might be better off just delaying that um, and pairing later at night and focusing on the tasks that you can just you can bulk do. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, how how have you found that time zone time zone shifting has a, has affected your your daily rhythm? I had a friend, for example, who lived in London, um, but because most of his collaborations were with people in San Francisco, he lived his life to San Francisco time, which was for him fine, uh, but for many of the people around him, somewhat disruptive because the, the, their schedules were completely out of sync. Right? It was impossible to have a lunch date with somebody, for example, when your lunch occurs uh, sometime in the evening. Right. How, how has this a, a affected um, um, you and your personal life? It hasn't because I've, ex I've actually taken advantage of remote and remote asynchrony. For example, um, my daughter is four and in a couple of days' time I'm going to take her to see Frozen the Musical. It's going to be Wednesday. So what I've done is I've switched my Wednesday for a Saturday. Right? So don't feel that like it's one way. You, you can make it work both ways to you in the right team, in the right setup. Make it work for you. If, if you need to switch your days around, switch your days around. Uh, likewise, uh, what I'm doing, what I honestly really, I'm, what I'm doing is I've moved what normally would be my time split into three different partitions and I've just moved into two partitions. So it's not, uh, not too big of a deal. Um, there's still, it does affect, uh, does affect, uh, other activities, but I find it, I found it manageable. You just stop, stop work, go to the, do those activities and go back to it. Yeah. So you've not only split your, your day from three partitions into two, but you've changed your week around. So you essentially get two weekends, albeit one day each. So one on Wednesday and one on Sunday. That's, that's an interesting solution. Yeah, that, that's just for one week. That's just for one week. I suppose if you're going to embrace asynchrony, you need to embrace asynchrony from the point of view of also work days. Right, right. If you have a critical dependency on people being in the office or being there on Monday to Friday, then that's a sign that you have problems with synchrony. Yeah, I think a lot of us, the, the biggest struggle um, with the advent of COVID and working from home is understanding the, the asynchronous nature of the work that we do. We continue to try to live our, our lives just like we're going into the office. Um, and that creates a lot of a lot of undue stress, right? Because it's no longer 
it's no longer necessary in this kind of environment. It doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Um, and it's been very difficult for, for me and for others to embrace the possibilities of, of asynchrony, right. Um, and understanding when synchronous communication does have its time and its place and the importance of it. Right. So as not to go fully asynchronous because then you just end up sort of cut off, I think from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very nice way of putting it. Um, the events that's happened in the world in the last year, it's a lot of people have now having to learn how to do asynchrony. And I, I, I agree. It's not true asynchrony because what's essentially what's happening is people are still trying to model it in the synchronous time slot. So from, from your unique perspective in the van there, then how do you, how do you see the future of uh, remote working right in a, in a post pandemic world? Yeah, so a couple of things I see towards the future of a post-pandemic world is definitely we're going to see, uh, I hope, younger generations like actually consider that like being nomadic, potentially working from a van and traveling. We're already seeing it. I reckon that's going to start to become more normalized. Um, one of the things I, I definitely am going to, I, I, I'm sure that's going to happen is employers will lose their best employees if they force them to go back into the office. Hmm. Yeah, I think that seems quite likely. I hope, I hope that doesn't happen to you, not to you, Jeff, but to our listener. Um, I've worked at several companies in the past that were adamant, um, that working from the office was very important companies that had a, a, a heritage with Yahoo and they're very, um, infamous policy that working required butts and seats, right? Working from home was not a thing that could, that could happen. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious myself to see like, to what extent some companies feel the, the draw to return to strictly in seat working when it's not actually necessary and the kinds of shakeups that the industry are going to, going to go through if, and when that happens. I'm exceptionally interested to see what's going to happen with the future of commercial real estate. Mm. Like, it was already so expensive in so many places, right? I mean, you'd think many companies were just looking for an excuse to get rid of their offices and then what? Yeah. Um, I think remote working is going to increase. Uh, I'm definitely seeing a lot more people go down the path of being nomadic digitally. Assuming that we have vaccinations and the pandemic is under control, I think we're going to start to see a lot of people um, potentially be more nomadic in the sense that what country do you call yourself home? Like if you can truly earn an income from anywhere in the world, which country is your home? Which country is, your, is the one that you get taxed in? If your country is heading in a direction you do not like it to, to go, do you stay and try and force it to, or influence it to go to the direction that you would like it to go? Or would you move to a country that treats you best? And I think we're going to start to see developing nations uh, start to capitalize on this. Um, there's many, the, the, many nations now have very attractive op uh, programs available for people who earn inter income internationally. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more travel once again.
yeah, I think we're going to start to see a lot more travel once again, once these, these restrictions are lifted for, for travel, even within Europe right now, most of the borders, at least in my part of Europe are effectively shut. Um, and people are itching to see someplace new, uh, let alone work someplace new. Well, before the pandemic, this is what I observed here in Australia. In Australia, typically, um, before the pandemic, this is what I observed. Every couple of months, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft were flying their recruiters in. And they, they were essentially harvesting knowledge and skill to leave Australia and go move across to America because the visa program was very acceptable. Um, and the, the financials evolved. We're, we're, talking about, we're talking about everywhere from two to eight times the total earning potential staying in Australia. So before the pandemic, we actually had a bit of a brain drain going on. So I'd be very interested to see what will happen with that. Will that activity resume? Will we still mm -hmm. have the big tech companies coming in here insisting that you should move across, move across? Will that activity cease? Because that, that, that will they... existed before the pandemic, and I'm wondering if that's going to happen again after the pandemic. And likewise, I wonder if people, now that they're now more used to remote, companies are going to start hiring for the best in the world rather than the best in the local area within a 20-minute commute to the office. So there's definitely going to be some changes to the way the labour market works, and it's going to be very interesting to observe what happens in Australia. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, it's been fascinating talking with you and learning about van life. Um, I want to invite listeners, uh, if they want to learn more, Jeff has just started a blog at ghuntley.com. Uh, the URL will be in the, the description once we wrap this all up, um, where you are documenting building out your van. Is that correct? That's correct. And I imagine the, the, the details of van life in general. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for your time. This has been a really enlightening conversation. Um, what time is it there? It's 9.30 in the morning here, just to give viewers a sense of how this can work. It's 7.40 p.m. Yeah, so you're about halfway around the world for me. The internet can work sometimes. I like that. One piece right. of advice I would have is uh, there's a website called everytimezone.com. Use it. it really everytimezone.com. All right. It, we'll so share that with the, the mathematics of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, <laughs> If, if there weren't summertime, it would be a lot easier. But given that, that the United States, Australia, and Europe all go into summertime at different times, um, it gets really confusing about twice a year for about two weeks as to what the time difference actually is. All right. Well, thank you once again, Jeff. And um, we'll see you again on ghuntley.com. Cheers, Don. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure.